Good afternoon. Please join me in prayer again. Father, You are good. We are thankful that we can gather together and worship You through song, uh, worship You through the preaching of Your Word. We pray that You would just give us the ears to be able to hear and to understand by the power of the Holy Spirit today what Your Word says. That You would give me the words to speak. That You would help us to, to be obedient. And God, we turn this next half hour over to You and ask You that You would use it for Your glory. That this would be a sweet aroma to You. We ask that in Your name, Christ. Amen. Both Christians and non-Christians experience suffering. We all experience suffering because we, we live in a world that has been plagued by sin. But as followers of Christ, we're called to be a people who are set apart from the rest of the world and that even though we are sorrowful in our suffering, yet we're always rejoicing. But this can be a lot easier said than done, right? And sometimes it feels like the sorrow we are experiencing is so weighty that it almost seems impossible to rejoice when God entrusts us with a period of suffering that comes about. You know, we can relate to the psalmist who cries out to God in his suffering and declares, You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and You overwhelm me with all Your waves. And it can seem as if God is never going to pull us out of that pit of suffering that we are going through, and our faith is tested. John Piper writes, Life is not simple. There is pleasure and there is pain. There is sweetness and there is suffering. There is joy and there is misery. There is life and health and there is disease and death. And therefore, Christian emotions are not simple. We will rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And there is always someone we know who is weeping and, and someone we know who is rejoicing. And therefore, we will learn the secret of sorrowful yet always rejoicing and joyful yet always sorrowing. So God has purposes for appointing the suffering that comes about in our lives. And one of the reasons that He does this is to advance the Gospel. Sometimes He uses our pain to put us in a position so that others can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And whether it be suffering caused by persecution or suffering brought about by other hardships, then we're called to glorify Christ in how we respond in that suffering. And so I hope to encourage us today in what we hear, and I pray that God through the power of the Spirit would use His Word to enable us to rejoice in the wonderful ways in which He works even when we are stuck in the pit of the suffering that we are in. And so I believe that Paul gives us some insight into this as he writes to a worried group of believers in Philippi as he's experiencing his own time of suffering. So if you can, if you haven't already, turn to Philippians chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 12 through 18. That's Philippians 1, 12 through 18. As you turn there, Paul, he is someone who has experienced much suffering up until this point in which he writes the book of the letter of Philippians. He writes in 2 Corinthians 11, Verses 23 through 28, that he has been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled, and I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. And so, even after going through all this, Paul is writing this letter to the church in Philippi as he is sitting inside of a dingy Roman prison, suffering. And he's awaiting the outcome of his trial. And during that time, he's able to send and to receive letters. And when reading through the book of Philippians, we can sense that the members of the church in Philippi, they're somewhat worried and concerned for the well-being of Paul. Because he's been in prison for preaching Christ. He's suffering. And so Paul writes this letter to the church in Philippi instructing them over and over to rejoice. He actually uses the word for joy or rejoicing 16 times in 104 verses. This is one of the most joyful books in the New Testament. How can a man who has gone through so much suffering rejoice in the way that he does? Specifically in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12-18, through he writes of how he rejoices because the Gospel is being advanced through his suffering. And so Paul has been entrusted with suffering that has been specifically brought about by persecution. But I also believe that we can gain insight from Paul for how we can respond in our suffering. Whether it be suffering brought about by persecution or suffering brought about by other hardships. We're called to honor Christ in how we respond and be a part of how He is further advancing the Gospel. So as we work through this passage together, we will learn that we are called to rejoice in the advancement of the Gospel through our suffering. And that will be the main point for us today. We are called to rejoice in the advancement of the Gospel through our suffering. And then we will see three specific reasons for why we can rejoice as God advances the Gospel through our suffering. So let's read Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 12. Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the Gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the Word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the Gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And so verse 12, it serves as somewhat of a summary statement for this passage. Paul expresses in verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the Gospel. And so all the suffering that Paul is experiencing because of persecution as he sits inside of a Roman prison is being used by God to advance the Gospel. And so what are the reasons according to verses 13-17 through for why Paul and we can rejoice in the advancement of the Gospel even through our suffering? 
Well, first we can rejoice because God uses our suffering to carry the Gospel to unlikely places. God uses our suffering to carry the Gospel to unlikely places. Now look at the position that Paul has been placed in as he sits inside his prison cell. And I think, God, couldn't Paul be used in a much more impactful way if he were free from that Roman prison cell? Free to roam the streets of Rome proclaiming Christ? Couldn't he reach so many more people if he were free from that prison? And don't we often make statements, the same kind of statements like that about our own circumstances? God, if You could only free me from the suffering that I'm going through, then I could be used in a much more impactful way, right? But God knows what He is doing. And He has Paul and us exactly where He wants us to be in our suffering to advance the Gospel. He accomplishes His purposes in far greater ways than we could ever possibly imagine. See, Paul, he's been placed in a position in which he is able to share Christ with people that he may not have had the opportunity to share Christ with otherwise, unless he were sitting inside of this Roman prison. Paul writes in verse 13, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. The imperial guards, they were the official bodyguards of the emperor. You know, they were responsible for all the imperial prisoners. And Paul writes about how his imprisonment for Christ has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. So likely not all these men had the responsibility of, of being a prison guard at Paul's residence, but many did. What do you think Paul did when guard after guard would switch out to perform their duty at Paul's residence? He would likely preach the Gospel with guard after guard until the reason for his imprisonment has become the hot topic among the imperial guard. And many were being exposed to the Gospel because Paul was experiencing suffering due to persecution, which has landed him in that prison cell. But that was exactly where God wanted him to be. And as we serve within the vocations and the ministries that God places us in, some of us may be given platforms to proclaim Christ because of the suffering that we will experience from persecution. But we can rejoice in that because God carries the Gospel to unlikely places in that way. And there's a specific way that God advances the Gospel through persecution, but isn't it also true that God can use the other ways in which we suffer to carry the Gospel to unlikely places? God allows for us to go through the difficult periods of suffering so we can be better equipped to be placed in certain ministry situations to minister the Gospel to others. David Pallison writes, when you've passed through your own fiery trials and found God to be true to what He says, you have real help to offer. You have first-hand experience of both His sustaining grace and His purposeful design. He has kept you through pain. He has reshaped you more into His image. What you are experiencing from God, you can give away in increasing measure to others. You are learning both the tenderness and the clarity necessary to help sanctify another person's deepest distress. So maybe some of you have struggled through dark periods of depression that God has used to equip you to be placed within a specific ministry context in which you can help someone else walk through the darkness. Maybe you know someone who has battled through cancer and they've been placed in a specific hospital where they've come in contact with doctors and nurses and other patients whom they were able to share Christ with. And some of us are struggling through difficult circumstances right now, and I want to encourage you 
that God has entrusted you with the suffering that you are experiencing and He can advance the Gospel through it. And many of you may have heard about uh, Joni Erickson Tata. Maybe you've heard her speak or read one of her books. Uh, if, you, if not, then I would encourage you to. She trusted in Christ when she was a teenager, but not long after that, at the age of 17, she had a horrible diving accident which left her a quadriplegic. So she was paralyzed from the neck down. And that was back in 1967. But since then, she's also struggled with chronic pain. She's struggled with cancer. Many refer to her as almost a modern-day Job. But but God has used her to reach so many people with the gospel. She's authored at least 50 books, started a nonprofit organization in 1979 called Joni and Friends, where they basically have a desire to bring the gospel to the disabled community and to equip churches to do the same. Within that, they started a ministry called Wills for the World, where they have distributed over 38,000 wheelchairs to the needy worldwide. And in her book titled A Place of Healing, Wrestling with the Mysteries of Suffering, Pain, and the Sovereignty of God, she admits that there have been times where she has struggled with why God would not heal her. She believes that God could have. There have been people who have prayed for her healing, but He hasn't granted it. She also believes that He has a greater purpose for her suffering. She shares a story of a young girl named Shantama who grew up in India in a Hindu family. And she was born with a disability which left her basically scooting around on the floor in her home. And she was so ashamed of that that she would rarely even go outside the front door. But in God's providence, He allowed a pastor to meet this girl. And when He saw her condition, He gifted her one of Joni's books. And after she had read that book, she read about the testimony of of uh, how she came to, to know Christ in that book. And through that, Shantama came to trust in Christ. And four years later after this happens, Joni actually got to meet this woman. And as she was helping to, to deliver wheelchairs to the, the disabled uh, in the city where she lives, Joni writes after that, My friends, this is one of a million reasons why I am grateful God didn't heal me in my paralysis. What if God had answered my prayers as a 17-year-old? Release me from my paralysis and return me to a normal life of a woman on her feet. It might have been well for me, but what about Shantama? There would have been no Joni book for the pastor to give to this young woman with so little hope and so few prospects. There would have been no Joni and friends or wills for the world to do uh, a, a wheelchair distribution for impoverished people in Angola, India. Would Shantama have come to Jesus anyway? Would God have gained glory and, and would the name of Jesus have been held high in those slums through her bright, joyful testimony? I can't know what would have happened to Shantama if there had been no quadriplegic girl in America named Joni to inspire her and lead her to faith in the one true God. Perhaps, as Mordecai told Esther, relief and deliverance for this girl would have risen from another place. I only know that because I wasn't healed, because God has plans for my life, that were wider and higher and deeper and more profound than I could have ever imagined. A teenage girl named Shatama from the slums of urban India will be with me in heaven. In in glorious new bodies that will never tire and never fade, we'll explore the high mountains of that place and the wide green meadows 
And we will laugh out loud for the joy over the goodness and grace of our Heavenly Father. What will those decades of disability mean to me then? What will those few years of chronic pain, tears, and frustration add up to then? That's enough right there to cause me to say thank you, God, for this wheelchair. So Joni, she testifies over and over throughout her book about how God has used her suffering to advance the Gospel to unlikely places. And this should cause us to step back and ask, well, how does God desire to advance the Gospel through us and the suffering that we're experiencing? What people has He placed in our path that we may not have met otherwise because of the suffering we're experiencing? He will give us opportunities to minister the Gospel to others. Pray that He gives us the ability to seize and to seize those opportunities in our suffering. So God, He carries the Gospel to unlikely places through our suffering. But we can also rejoice because God uses our suffering to embolden the weak. God uses our suffering to embolden the weak. Paul writes in verses 14-16, through 16, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the Word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the Gospel. So Paul has faithfully and boldly proclaimed Christ, and he has been in prison for doing so. And you would think that this would strike fear into other believers, prevent them from from proclaiming Christ, but it actually does the exact opposite for many of them. It has emboldened the weak to speak Christ without fear. They do it out of goodwill, out of love for for Paul out of love for Christ, knowing that Paul has been placed in that dingy Roman prison for the defense of the Gospel. God, through the power of the Spirit, He uses those who step out in faithfulness to proclaim Christ in the face of opposition to embolden others to do the same. In this way, Paul's suffering he is experiencing because of persecution emboldens the weak to advance the Gospel. After God saved me, I was blessed with an amazing mentor. His name was Dr. Joe. Uh, just a sweet man of God. I used to sit there and, at his feet and just ask him question after question about the Word of God. I remember one time in which he shared with me that the darkest and most difficult time in his life was when he lost his son. Somehow their son had, had gotten away from them and walked out into the front of their home toward the street and a garbage truck was backing up about to pick up the trash. Not knowing that Dr. Joe's little boy was behind the truck. And on that day he lost his son. But then he proceeded to explain to me that during that time of grieving and mourning that he struggled through, God taught him how to trust in Him more deeply. He eventually started a gospel-centered grief counseling group in which he was able to walk with others through the darkness of losing loved ones. And even now, close to 40 years later, he's still using him to minister the Gospel to others that are grieving. God has used him to strengthen the faith of those who are struggling with some of the most difficult kinds of suffering. And God has a way of using us when we are weak in our suffering to strengthen others to live boldly for Him. It's easy to live the Christian life when everything is going well. But it is a testimony to the power of God working through us when we proclaim Christ and live faithfully as we are suffering. Now, how can God use the suffering that you have gone through or maybe are currently experiencing 
to embolden the faith of others. You know, is there someone or who is suffering in some of the same ways that you have who you can encourage and walk through that darkness with? Maybe some of us are struggling here today and we, and we know of someone who has gone through a similar time of suffering that we're going through right now. I'd encourage you to reach out to them. Or talk to an elder who can connect you with someone that has gone through a similar kind of struggle. And that's what the body of Christ is for. We're called to suffer together. And so we can rejoice because God emboldens the weak through our suffering. But finally, we can rejoice because God is sovereign over our suffering. Or He's in control of our suffering. Paul also makes mention in verses 15-17 through 17 of those who preach Christ with impure motives. He doesn't exactly identify who they are. They could have been members of the church in Philippi. Um, we don't know if they were believers or if they weren't. He doesn't mention that they are, are teaching a false gospel, uh, that they are false teachers. There's no mention of that. But these men were, were proclaiming Christ, and they were doing it with impure motives. And unlike those who have been emboldened to preach Christ out of uh, goodwill, out of love for Christ, and a love for Paul, Paul writes that these men were proclaiming Christ because they are jealous. They're envious of Paul. They have some kind of personal rivalry with him. And they desire to heap on him more affliction or more suffering as he is suffering in a Roman prison cell. And so they proclaim the Gospel, but they do it with impure motives. And Paul, he could have easily reacted out of anger. But look at how Paul responds to these men who are preaching with impure motives. He writes in verse 18, well, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. So Paul rejoices. He says, so what? If Christ is proclaimed, then that is absolutely fantastic. He's not condoning their impure motives. But he desires for the Gospel to be advanced more than he desires to be free from the additional suffering that they are trying to heap upon him as he is in prison. Paul has this robust view of God's sovereignty within the suffering that he is experiencing. And Paul can rejoice because his trust has been placed in God who is in control of every detail of his situation. The one who has allowed Paul to suffer in a prison so that he could preach Christ to his prison guards. The one who has used the suffering that he is going through to embolden others to proclaim the Gospel and the one who can still use those preaching with impure motives to advance the Gospel. That we cannot view God as one who is not powerful enough to prevent our suffering. You know, the Scriptures are, are clear that He governs all things according to His perfect wisdom. That He is the one who spoke everything into existence. He's the one who commands the winds and the seas, and the demons, and the gospel, and they obey Him. He's also the one who healed the lame, blind, and sick. He is all-powerful. He's omnipotent. But we also cannot say that He is all-powerful, but not loving enough to prevent us from suffering. One author writes, God is not evil. Even when He plans that evil will come to pass, there are good and holy and just purposes in all that He does. For those who love Him, He works all things together for good. God is sovereign over our suffering and uses it to advance the Gospel. God overrides the sinful intentions of people who seek to do us harm. And He has appointed the difficult circumstances that we experience 
to bring about His great purposes. Maybe another way to put it is that He uses those secondary sinful agents within His divine plan to bring about His great purposes. He has willed for that to come about for our good and for His glory. We can see God working in this way throughout the Scriptures. You Think about all the suffering that Joseph went through. His own brother sold him into slavery. He became the supervisor of, of Potiphar's household. All seems to be going well. And then Potiphar's wife wrongly accused him of attempting to rape her. And so they throw him in prison. As a prisoner, the text says that the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in prison. If you remember Joseph, he interprets the dream of a fellow prisoner, and that fellow prisoner is the cupbearer of the king. And when Joseph's interpretation comes about, comes to pass, the cupbearer completely forgets him. And so he's left in prison likely for another few years suffering. And there is time after time again in the story of Joseph that I say to myself, you could it get any worse? And then it does. There is injustice and people wrongfully sin against him over and over and bring about more suffering within his life. But in those times of darkness that he experiences, God has never left Joseph. God has actually been unfolding His divine plan all along. Over and over again, God displays His steadfast love to Joseph and also displays His power through him. God overrides the sinful intentions of those who try to bring about suffering in His life and actually use those very people to eventually place Joseph in one of the most powerful positions in Egypt where God uses him to save many people from the famine. And so by the time that Joseph's brothers meet him again, the ones who initiated that long period of suffering that he would go through, Joseph has this robust view of God's sovereignty. He declares to those sinful secondary agents which are his brothers in Genesis 50, verse 20, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So even though at times it seems like God has forgotten Joseph and his suffering, he is actually carrying out his plan all along. We've been seeing this in the book of Acts, how sinful men intend to wipe out Christianity through the persecution of believers in Jerusalem. But those people are subordinate to him. And the Lord actually uses them to spread the gospel to the regions outside of Jerusalem through that persecution. So the gospel spreads even when they originally intended to prevent it. We see this most clearly as we look to the crucifixion of Christ. You know, it seemed as if he was defeated on the cross, right? The disciples saw his lifeless body hanging on the cross and they placed it into a tomb. But what the disciples could not fully understand was that it was all part of the divine plan of God. In Isaiah 53.10 it says, It was the will of the Lord to crush Him. That Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God and crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So God sovereignly used sinful men to crucify the Son of God so that He could make atonement for our sin to purchase salvation for us. You know, a writer named Dave Zuliger writes, a way forward lies in seeing the two-tiered reality of our pain. In all pain, there are always two sources or agents at work, but only one is ultimately ruling, which is God. 
Sometimes it's easy for us to only look at the reality that we can visibly see, touch, and hear. We look at the people who are causing our suffering. We can feel the hurt within our bodies emotionally and physically. And we begin to question the unseen reality. The One who is ruling over all of those things. As we walk through the different kinds of suffering that we will experience, we must also have this robust view of God's sovereignty. That He is in control of all things. That our suffering is not out of God's control. We can trust that whatever is causing our suffering is subordinate to Him. And that He is intricately working out every detail in that suffering to advance His kingdom. In some ways that we will not fully understand, maybe not even in this lifetime. There's some mystery there, and, and God, He doesn't delight in our suffering, but He knows the beginning from the end. He knows how that suffering will be used to advance the Gospel, to bring Him glory, and to help us to trust in Him more deeply in that. And He rejoices in that. And so Paul, he's pulled back the curtain of his suffering and revealed how we can rejoice because God carries the Gospel to unlikely places. He emboldens the weak And He is in control of all things as we experience the suffering that we go through. We are right to experience sadness and to desire justice and to mourn with each other. We live in a world that's fallen. We do not rejoice in the suffering itself, but in Christ who is advancing the Gospel through it. And we can look forward with a great hope knowing that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us.